Hello and welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the need, the need to podcast. This is episode 11, Rain Man from 1988. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have a very special guest. Uh, She and I were talking before, Mike, before you joined us, uh, that she's not talked to us about a movie in like seven months since we recorded Tully way back on Watch the Throne. We have Jordan Poland-Clark from Whistle Thinking. Hello, Jordan. Hi. Thank you for joining us for Rainman. I'm so glad to be talking to you again. I'm so glad that you are talking to us again, that we're talking to you, that you are here. I want to... Here's what I wrote about you briefly in the write-up on this episode. It's used to describe a prostitute in this movie. However, I also think it describes you genuinely. Okay. Sparkly, sparkly and like oh, a holiday. Oh, that was one of my favorite parts, sparkly like a holiday. <laughs> it's so sweet and so cute. And I feel like that's exactly the kind of vibe that we went for when we were writing your bio on cageclub.me. Aww, but sparkly you. and like a, she looks like a holiday. which what is a compliment. Uh, yes. I think Thanks. that you are truly sparkly inside and out. Aww. And that's the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Night. Bye. I would listen to that podcast, one where we oh, just sure. compliment me for two minutes and then we hang up. In and out, quick, quick in, quick out. <laughs> but this is your first Tom Tom, either way, Cruz or Hanks. So welcome aboard. Thanks. Where are we at? What do we do? But where hmm. we, what do we do before this? So we've already seen Top Gun. Mm-hmm. We've already seen Risky Business. Okay. And we've already seen The Color of Money. Those are the three sort of best cruise movies we've seen so far. We've also seen Legend. Mm-hmm. And then what else? Any other? What other big ones have we seen? Ooh, Mike, we're taps, now of Outsiders. We are now officially a quarter of the way through Cruise Club. No. Yeah, what? we're like a sixth of the way through Hanks, but but that Cruise seems... has not had that many movies. Wow. And they're all been. Pretty good so far. So have yeah. you? I have a question. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen all of those movies. I've seen Top Gun and I've seen Risky Business. Is he always the same? That's the thing uh, that we've learned. Really, we've talked a lot on Hanks, which you've not joined us for, which you will at some point soon, I think. Mm-hmm. That Tom Hanks is sort of all over the place a little bit. That Tom Hanks has goofy mode. He's got attempts to be serious mode. I feel like he's sort of now. We just did the Money Pit. Was the last episode we did, and it feels like he's sort of settling into who he is as an actor. Mm-hmm. Tom yes, Cruise from, like, man. the very first movie has been, like, this high-energy, kind of man's man, sex symbol icon. Like, even from this, like, 47-second cameo in Endless Love, he has been... <laughs> Billy the Arsonist. Tom Cruise, <laughs> the Tom Cruise that you know. And I feel like this is a very big departure, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still the same kind of energy, if you will, but I think that the type of role he plays in this movie is the first time we've seen something kind of wildly different from him. So the answer is mostly yes, but a little bit no. Okay. I was just thinking, I mean, I haven't seen like a ton of his movies, I guess. I really like the movie Magnolia. Who he is in Magnolia and who he is in this, like, to me have a lot of similarities. And then I was mm-hmm. like, wait, is he kind of just like this in everything? He gets there a little bit like this in Cocktail as well. Um, that movie just doesn't really sustain. He's got certain levels, but I think like this is his most sort of dramatic, serious role to date, probably. Yep. And yep. I think that he's doing a good job here. He's pulling it off. Like I, I think that there's a lack of... Not, I don't want to say fun, but I just feel like oh, no. this is much more serious than uh, his previous stuff, and like he's really toned himself down. Believe it or yeah, not, yeah, this I think, movie is not role. fun at all. No, that's what I'm saying. Is like even in previous movies where they've been serious and dramatic, like I feel like he's sort of not as dramatic as the movie needs it to be. But like here, I feel like he really fits the tone. So Michael Caine has said that Tom Cruise's performance of this is one of his all-time favorites in film history. 
Whoa. That apparently Michael Caine, as an adult, found out that he had a brother that he never knew about. Um, that spent most of his life in a mental hospital or, or a, a, a care facility because his brother suffered from, like, crippling bouts of epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And so I think Michael Caine probably really connected for a lot of reasons with the Tom Cruise performance in this. And he was also saying that, you know, Dustin Hoffman, who won an Academy Award for this movie, has the flashy role, the showy role, like he's the one you're going to remember. But I think it's because Tom Cruise does what he does in this movie that really kind of brings humanity to a lot of it. You know what I mean? Like he's got a couple of really powerful scenes and he has he's the one who grows. Dustin Hoffman's character grows a little bit. Like Does he, he grow? Well, he makes a joke at the end. He says Kmart sucks. No, I don't mean Dustin Hoffman. I do think... I have questions about that also. Okay. Do you think Charlie really grows? It's a tough call. Like, I didn't realize, because I'd seen this movie before, like, what an asshole they try and set him up to be. And I think it's really interesting because I really like Cruz right now where he is in his movies as an actor and stuff. So that threw me. I was like, wow, like, I'm not supposed to be on his side. And it's tough because I like Cruz. And um, I think the movie does a really good job, though, of, like, breaking him down and saying, like, no, this character is a bad person. Like, it it takes me a while to get back onto his side. And I think by the end of the movie, I, I am with him. Whether or not he grows as a person, I grow to understand him, I Hmm. guess, as a character. Yeah, that's true. It definitely, like, peels off some layers of him, for sure. But he remains, like, very complex. Still maybe not a great guy. Although better than he was in the beginning, I guess. How long does this movie take place over? Maybe maybe a week? I think a week. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like there's... Like, if he was a wildly different person, I feel like it wouldn't feel earned or real no that's true i'm not complaining about it i think it's like way more accurate that way that he doesn't you know turn into a different person in this week but i think i think he does grow i think he does because he's he's sort of that boiler room wolf of wall street kind of guy in the beginning right like he's the kind of guy who is just all business whatever he's doing i don't know if i can't tell if he's successful or not but he's all business they're like exotic car salespeople. I think is what they do. But they they're also, like, like scamming and... a little bit? They're not scamming. He's just, like, doing some kind of, like, shady business deals, it seems like, where, like, he has already sold these cars that he doesn't have in his possession. So, like, he fucked up. But you get the impression that, like, he has been quite successful. Like, he has a lot of money. But he's yep. just, like, dug this hole now that he's stuck in and yeah. trying to lie his way out of it. And he can't. Before we get too much further into Rain Man, I do want to ask you a uh, sort of a broader question, Jordan, because you, this is your first time here in the Tom Tom Club. Do you remember what the first Tom Cruise movie you saw was? Do you have a favorite? Is he the kind of actor that you go see his movies? Like, does hearing a new Mission Impossible movie coming out make you want to like get you excited, or are you just sort of like, eh, I'll see the ones that look good to me? So I guess okay. it's a three three part question. Okay. First one, favorite one. How do you th- what do you think of him as an actor? I have to pull up his um. Sure, go for it. Oh, wow, he's in a lot of movies I forgot about. Oh, okay, here we go. Definitely wouldn't have seen any of those. I'm just starting at the beginning. The first one I saw would have, like, I want to say maybe Jerry Maguire, but, like, really, I didn't see anything before that? It's not, like, he's not done a ton of things. And that was Aside from maybe Legend and maybe just Top Gun, because Top Gun, everybody's sort of seen parts of Top Gun. Not a lot that he's done have been really made for kids. And not to, to, not to gender it, but especially for, like, you know, young girls, I don't think. Oh, yeah. Jerry Maguire, like, it's still, I think that's still an R-rated movie, but it's amazing Mm -hmm. how... such a big deal 
Yeah, it's so much mass appeal. That movie just hits. Like so everyone many. saw it. Such a big romance film and everything. Here's the order it probably went in. This is weird. I didn't see Mission Impossible because I still haven't seen the first one. Well, your mission, if you choose to accept it. <laughs> I, so Jerry Maguire, and then I saw Vanilla Sky when it came out, and then I saw Minority Report when it came out. So many people saw Vanilla Sky that I, I, I mean, I saw it, but I wasn't aware that so many other people had seen it until we started Tom Tom Club. And it's like, oh yeah, I saw Vanilla Sky. People so, wow. love that movie. That was one that we had yeah, a sort of surprising amount of people who signed up for. Like, that's the one I want to talk about. It's like, really, that one? Okay. Okay. If I, because I, I, so I feel like between like Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia and like Vanilla Sky, those are like the most interesting movies he's yeah. made as far as like straying cool from era. like a typical thing that he does. Yeah, he doesn't shoot a lot of guns in those movies and like run around. Well, he might run around a lot, but. <laughs> he doesn't jump off of like buildings and those. Uh, okay, wait. What was the second part of the question? Favorite movie of his. Well, this is like a little bit going to answer the next part, but That's I don't fine. You can, love. You can lump him in. I you don't can do a multi-part him. question. You don't love him. Okay. I don't love him. Also, like the whole Scientology thing, mm-hmm. I think is creepy, and like I don't really want to be supportive of that, and like Neither so I like very <laughs> conflicted. Let's see. Favorite movie. If I had to pick one. It probably Magnolia. Okay. It's like maybe yeah. the only one on this list that I've like gone back to watch multiple times. Which is also yes. probably his longest movie, and also the first one since I think The Outsiders. Like there's like there's like a sixteen or fifteen or sixteen year gap that we we pulled up a trivia when we did The Outsiders that like he's the star or like one of the leads in every one of these movies between those two between like eighty three and ninety nine. Like he is just the guy and then all right. of a sudden he's just part of like he's a cog in the machine and he's a very memorable and important cog in the machine and but, a very uh, big machine yeah yeah like yeah. that movie on its own is just very good too i think so he happens to be in like a like a great movie with a huge cast mm-hmm. we just watched Karen and i talked about punch drunk love which is the movie that paul thomas anderson made after magnolia he was basically like i promise i won't make a three-hour movie and he made punch drunk love <laughs> starring adam sandler but I also really like the mission. I saw the most recent Mission Impossible movie because everyone was talking about the stunts, and I really care about that. Like, if you can show me some really cool, practical, not CG stunts that I've never seen before, like, yeah, I want to watch that. You should check out the Money Pit over on Hanks for the Memories because there's some very cool. I've seen the Money Pit. It's got some pretty great and elaborate. Pratt's and stunts and stuff in it, I felt, so. That movie's great. About Rain Man, bringing it back to Rain Man now, did you like this movie overall? I did like this movie. It made me uncomfortable from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I hated him. Hated him. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, the kind of movie that, like, the whole time I was waiting for something, like, really bad to happen, and it mm-hmm. didn't, but I was just, I felt, like, icky inside the whole time because I was mm-hmm. really worried. Yeah. Yeah. No, I cried couple times sure that's understand i mean this is a very if it's an emotional movie but it's also just like emotionally draining i feel like the entire time like there's Mm -hmm. just there's just a lot of feelings good and bad and there's a lot happening it made me think a lot about like probably no one probably people didn't know anything about autism like i'm sure this was like probably the first time a person with autism was portrayed in a place where like everybody saw I assume that that was a very big deal at the time and like I don't know enough to say this like I think they do like a decently good portrayal like respect you know respectful and you know the acting is really good they don't seem like they're making fun of it it seems like it was really well researched and all that at the same time autism though is like so there's such a wide range of what autism Mm -hmm. looks like 
And he has two different things. He has autism and he has savant syndrome, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. But so I imagine, like, in context at the time, this was, like, a very big deal for representation. But it's also sad to think about, like, well, one, like, that's all people would know about autism or savant syndrome because, like, there is such a wide range. Right. And, like, I can't even think of anything else, hardly any other movies where I've seen an autistic mm-hmm. person. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that, too. Like, I think the closest I came as a kid to seeing something like Rain Man was maybe Awakenings, and that's mm-hmm. kind of close. But even still, it's true. Like, there's such a wide spectrum. It's hard to really know, like, how accurate they are, but it feels like they've like you said, like they're being very respectful and trying to be as accurate as possible. And it does kind of feel like at the time they are drawing awareness to mm-hmm. autism. Yeah. Like it seems like the movie's making a point of saying, yes, this isn't a very publicly known thing yet. Or, you know, even people in the movie don't know what autism is and stuff. So there's two or three times where they're trying to explain you know, yeah. what is going on. And I think they do a good job. And it's tough because, you know, you can't really get an autistic person to play this role and yet you want to tell this story well that's actually one of my questions is because like people you know say that a lot is like okay if you're gonna have a person who has down syndrome you know the person who plays the person actually has down syndrome if you're gonna have a person in a wheelchair why don't you just use a person who's actually in a wheelchair things like that so like i don't want to go as far as saying like an autistic person couldn't play this role because i don't think that's fair to the abilities of an autistic person which is something that I don't know enough about to judge like I was thinking about that too you know you want to be able to tell this story I mean it's it feels a little different than getting someone with down syndrome to play because there are characters like that in this movie and Mm -hmm. people have played roles before like there was a sitcom when I was growing up and one of the brothers on the show was an actual actor that had that disability or that had that and everything. And so I know it's difficult to really judge and tell and all that, but I still think that they did a pretty good job here in this one. Like, I think it's been done worse. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> this is something that I've talked to Kara a bunch about, your your co-host on, over on Wistful Thinking. And I think there's a delicate balance to strike between wanting an actual person with a disability or someone with autism or you know someone missing a leg or whatever to play that type of character But I also think, and this might not be, depending on how you view it, might not be important, I think there is something to be said for the awareness this brings, that you have uh, an Academy Award-winning actor in Dustin Hoffman who brings so much empathy and so much ability to the role, and it gets awareness out there. Or, you know, in a much different, in every way, factor, when The Rock is in Skyscraper and he's playing a character who's missing a leg, right? And you could get someone who's actually missing a leg to play that part, or you could have a movie star that everybody's going to go see a movie because he's in it, bring awareness of, like, people who are disabled can still kick ass, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a balance to... And I, there's not... I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer. I mean, I guess there are certainly wrong answers. I mean, I think we've seen wrong answers a <laughs> lot of times, a lot of movies and TV shows. There's not necessarily a right answer. I think as long as you handle it with care and love it's going to come across that you're not, I don't think you're taking advantage of a community of people. I think you are, in this case, 
maybe bringing awareness to or showing that like these people are people too and they deserve love and they are they're kind and they're generous and they're what you know what i mean like it's Mm -hmm. because he's a he's a he's a good guy in this movie it makes me think of that movie the ringer with johnny knoxville i think and that movie got a lot of heat because he's impersonating someone with severe disabilities but yet the rest of the cast are people with actual disability, you know? So it's kind of a fine line, I guess, with that Mm -hmm. one. I've not seen the movie. I hear it's very endearing. It's got a lot of heart. But that is a case where, you know, they go and they actually employed and they have actors with actual disabilities playing those roles. So here with Dustin Hoffman, I think at the time, you know, it was just a very different time too, in general. They weren't going to do that, whereas I think now they would try and do that. And yeah, you got someone bringing his celebrity like you say, to this role, I think, um, adds a lot of gravitas to the topic and the subject and everything else. You know, it definitely depends who's playing the role, too. I don't know the entire making of the movie behind the scenes, but Dustin Hoffman was, like, very insistent on him being autistic, the character being autistic, as opposed to just mentally handicapped. And he was so insistent upon it that apparently Martin Brest quit directing the movie. Whoa. This movie went through, like, four directors. Spielberg was attached at one point. Yeah, and then we have uh, Barry Levinson, right, who eventually came on here to direct this movie. And he was also, he directed Diner, which Kyle covered over on Foodie Mm -hmm. Films. So so there's a little bit of a, a Cage Club podcast network connection there. But there was a lot of, I think, turmoil behind the scenes. The other thing was that I, that I read was that Dustin Hoffman was originally cast in Tom Cruise's role and then saw this guy, and I want to I make sure I get his name right, a Leslie Lemke, who's blind, mentally handicapped, and has cerebral palsy. Leslie was able to play concertos on the piano by ear, and he so fell in love with this person that he's like, I want to play this role. Like, I want to, you know, I, I sort of want to, sh- I guess, share how I'm feeling with other people. I don't know, but it feels like Dustin Hoffman was very integral into building the character in the movie into the way that it was. And I think it worked out, because, I mean, this one best picture, it won Best Director, it won Best Leading Actor, yeah, Best Original Screenplay, too. And it was also nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Score, Best Editing, and Best Set Direction. So. Yeah, it looks great. Questions yeah. about this score for later, because I'm not done with where so we're at I, right yeah. now, but the score was <laughs> fascinating. I'm a big fan of the score. Wait, wait let's save that, because wait, I want to stay on this topic for a second. Okay. I read exactly one article about this, um, cool. but learned a lot of things. One was at the guy. Do you have the name of the guy who wrote it? I'm not in front of me. Ronald Bass did the screenplay and Barry Morrow did the story. One of them based this on a real life experience where he kidnapped a mentally handicapped person from a home in order to try to protect them because it was based on this real life experience, but they didn't really know anything about like autism or like savant syndrome or anything like that. There was no autism or anything written into the script originally. It was just like based on this thing that happened to this guy once and then like kind of grew from there. Huh, okay. Huh. Was it even like a brother that wants like the money no, and all that kind of No, it was oh. it's uh, it's just like a rescue mission kind of thing. It was like two sentences about that part, but yeah, okay. that's kind of what it sounded like. Huh. Interesting. Okay. And the same article said that like when this came out it did bring in a lot of money for autism research like no oh, matter sure. how people like you know felt about the film like it was a huge deal for like visibility and research and awareness. And while we're on the little uh, the topic of sort of trivia and stuff, this was the highest grossing movie of 1988. And not only so, not only was it a Best Picture nominee, but it's also the highest grossing film of that year. It didn't open very well, but then word of mouth propelled it, mm-hmm. and like it became number one at the box office like weeks after it came out. So that's sort of a reversal of how things normally happen. But the other weird thing that ties into the 
and it still keeps on the same subject that we're talking about. This was the highest grossing Best Picture nominee, or Best Picture winner, until Forrest Gump. Whoa, Mr. Hanks. The weird thing is that Warner Brothers had the opportunity to make both of these movies, and they passed because they thought that they were too similar, (laughs) and that uh, people wouldn't want to see them, or something like that. And so they made neither of them. There was like this whole, like, I don't know, Jordan, I don't know if it was in the article that you read or not, but like, there was this sentiment that this was basically the same movie as Forrest Gump, which it's not. Although Forrest Gump is in the, uh, the character is on this list of book, movie, and TV characters on the autistic spectrum, or the autism spectrum, that I'm looking at right now. So in that regard, they're similar, but I don't know that they're otherwise similar. That's the only regard in that they're similar, in that they have a leading character that is on the autism spectrum, possibly, but, like, it's just, that is total, like, executive thinking, you know? It's like, (laughs) they must be the same movie. How could they possibly tell two separate stories about that? It's just awesome that, also, like, nowadays you hear about the highest-grossing film and stuff is is always gonna be, like, a Marvel movie or an action thing now, so it's great to know that, like, this drama about brothers brought in, like, so much money that year. Also on that list of characters with autism or Asperger's, I think the only one that really was maybe of a similar era, and I think it was still a while after, is What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Oh, yeah. But that's, I think, maybe five or six years after. That was in the 90s, though. But now there's a lot more characters. Like, apparently Boo Radley, I don't know if these are, like, officially, or this is just some Mm -hmm. doctor online has diagnosed these, but Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird... There's a character on Sesame Street. There was a Giovanni Ribisi movie with... Uh... Oh, yeah, where Juliette Lewis was mm-hmm. also in it, and they fell in yeah. love. There's also a character from The Middle, Lars from Lars and the Real Girl, so shout out Boy from Material the Gosling podcast, Lizbeth from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, some character from Fringe, Forrest Gump, The Driver from Drive, another Gosling movie, Abed from Community. There's oh, a yeah, character Abed. who's on the mini Driver show. There's, like, the character in... Speechless? Speechless, yeah. Uh, Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers, uh, Sheldon and Amy, both from The Big Bang Theory, and Amelie from Amelie. So not a ton of representation, but there's now a lot more than there really? was. Really? Tina? I never thought about that. I think it kind of tracks. Before we get into our favorite moments and such, uh, do you want to talk about the score? What, what were your questions? What were your comments? What were your <laughs> points about the score? The score, to me, did not go with this movie. It felt like that's what everything in the 80s sounded like, and so that's what this movie sounds like. I was really thrown off by it. I won't even like say that I disliked it. I just noticed it every time and was like, really? Yeah, I, I hear you there. It's very sort of new age almost or something. Yeah. Like It feels like intense spa music sometimes. Yeah. Well, you saw who did it, right? Uh, Phil Collins? Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Oh, okay, because I was like, is this Phil Collins Phil again? Collins. It, it, parts of it reminded me of the Birdie score and some of his music and stuff. And I agree that it's good, but I also agree that at times it, is mismatched with what I'm seeing. Uh, sometimes it lines up nice, but other times I don't know if it's in the right movie. But I do like the music. Like, I assume that that was a choice, but I'm just not sure why that was the choice. So the only thing that I had read about this was that the director told him, don't use any strings in your composition because it's going to make it seem too melancholy. And so there was huh. a conscious decision to sort of keep it light and upbeat. It also kind of reminds me of True Romance. It kind of reminds me of the True Romance theme oh, yeah. a little bit, which is a wildly different movie than this. Mm, but I yeah. still like that sort of bouncy calypso sort of. soothing to it, I yeah. guess, which is nice since there's a lot. Of, I get very tense watching this movie at times that when this music kicks in, at least it makes me relax. There's also apparently only like 12 minutes of score. Like it's very selectively used. I think there's only a couple songs. Mm -hmm. So it just sort of, I guess, maybe stuff repeated or 
you know, just a little bit here and there. I really liked it. I mean, uh, the the Academy liked it in that they, you know, nominated it for, for best score, did not win, but, you know, I can see why that would also... I also see the criticism of it, but it worked for me. I think I just sort of enjoy the, the sounds of it all. So now, Jordan, very important question. We, we have a little bit more structure here on TomTom Tom that we have in past podcasts. What was your favorite moment or favorite scene or favorite line or just oh, favorite part of My favorite part was when he realize when he realizes who Rain Man was. Oh yeah. Oh my god, I cried so much. It was so upsetting and sweet and just like oh my heart. That's the part of this movie that I'll remember. I liked other parts of it, but when he started yelling about the bath and the whole thing where he just put it all together, it was like whew. And they sang the Beatles to each other or with yeah, each other. Right. Yeah. It was so that sweet. hit me. I had seen this movie before, so early on he mentioned something about having an imaginary friend named the Rain Man and stuff. And even at that moment, I almost started to cry because I knew what was like coming up. When stuff. I was a kid and I got scared, the Rain Man would come and sing to me, which happens in the first like five or ten minutes. He says that very, very early. Uh, I think yeah. to his yeah. girlfriend probably. He lived with Dustin Hoffman for at least a. Probably just, a couple years. I didn't see that coming either. Is this the first time you saw this movie? I've never saw this movie before oh. today. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Do we give this to you or do you sign up for this one? I'm pretty sure I chose it because I was like, I've never seen that. That seems like a thing I should watch. Okay. That feels good. You're happy that you did. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a it's a heavy movie, of course, but you liked it. So you are so you sort of checked this one off your, your proverbial bucket mm-hmm. list. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what about you? What is your favorite moment in Rainman? Oh, man. There's a lot of good stuff in it, but... One thing in particular popped out this time. I don't know if it's like exactly my favorite moment, but it's what I really want to mention. And it's uh, Raymond's Watchman that he walks, walks okay. around watching TV on mm-hmm. just be- because it's like the height of micro technology during the 80s. And it's like this giant, it's the size of an iPad, but the screen is like minuscule. Like it's so tiny and everything. Like, I love a lot of moments in this movie and stuff, and but I knew we were going to talk about them anyway, so I just had to shout out that tech. My favorite moment is, it's in a sequence where, where Charlie's kind of taking advantage a little bit of Raymond, where they're in Vegas. I also want to give a shout yeah, out to our, our fellow host on the network, Chris Podcast, whose review of this on Thunderbox says, the original Mr. Jackpots. He's sort of using Raymond's brain to his advantage to make money blah 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 and it's all sort of iffy and sketchy and whatever show him a good time i think but it's also they also get told to leave vegas and never return again for counting six decks of cards at once (laughs) but my favorite moment and i think this is again to go back to what we were talking at the very beginning of the podcast the growth of charlie is that when he gets this suite at the hotel before they even go there he has the hotel put raymond's bed by the window I thought that was just such a sweet little gesture. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's here. He's taking advantage of his brother. He's trying to make a quick buck. But in that moment, he still knows how to make Raymond happy and how to... And maybe maybe you could see that's selfish. Like, I just want to have a smooth trip and I want to make sure that Raymond does not freak out because when he doesn't freak out, my life is better. But I just thought it was such a sweet little gesture. And then they follow that up with him teaching him how to dance. And I just thought yeah. that that was like... You know, I think it's also Tom Cruise's character riding high here saying that you know he just made a whole bunch of money on the floor. They might have lost three grand on the Wheel of Fortune, as Raymond calls it. I, I just think that's such a nice moment that there's like actual growth and they're developing a bond and he's you know doing nice things for his brother. I just thought that was like a really sweet uh, little moment there. The TV was that thing too. And when they went to, um, when they went to that woman's house in the middle of nowhere yeah, so he could watch, watch um, the court, court show, <laughs> that was very sweet. It's a very strange scene though too. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, and it protects me from the census or the Nielsen's ratings. Yeah. Yeah, but Joey, I love that moment too. That's a great scene when he teaches him to dance and stuff. And then he goes in to hug him, but Raymond, you know, doesn't like the physical contact. And it really startled. That's the one time I feel like it it really got to Cruz like emotionally because he's like, I just wanted to hug my brother. And I was like, wow, like I'm buying that, like his genuine feeling, his emotion. You know what I'm saying? Like, of course he's riding high because they just won 85 grand or whatever. But uh, I also believe that he's coming around a lot. I have such mixed feelings about how he treats Raymond in some ways. It's just like he doesn't understand autism at all and doesn't care to understand it. He's just like, snap out of it. Obviously, that's not how that works. Right. But in some ways, because he treats him like that, he allows him, like, different experiences than he would otherwise be having if he was just in the home. Like, from our perspective, that's a good thing. Like, I can't say what that actually is for an autistic person who can't, who doesn't experience things the way that I do. So, like, maybe that's actually not a good thing for him. Like, who knows? We do watch this character whose life has just been you know, one way for dozens of years, go have some different experiences that he doesn't always seem upset by. Like, like, yeah, this character maybe can't feel love the way that we experience love, but he definitely has some kind of caring for his brother. Yeah, it's it's great how Raymond, like, remembered Charlie, but Charlie didn't remember Raymond, you know? Like, I thought that was a very interesting touch on that relationship that when that came to light and it's like oh well there he is he is in there like he does have emotions and he is feeling things even if he can't if we can't tell he's expressing it and I think the one time that we do is at the end when he makes the Kmart joke and he does his laugh <laughs> kind of thing you know and like <laughs> finally we get a little something but um but it just made me think that the whole time like he, I do believe that he is sort of responding to Charlie just it's in his way and yeah you know he does the who's on first stuff when he gets very nervous he has <laughs> his sort of physical outbreaks when he's extremely agitated but then when he's you know calm and happy right and it seems like that's most of the trip he's okay and functioning and everything and so you know to a degree I think this was a good experience for him. Now Jordan on the other side of the coin is there a moment or is there a sequence aside from just you know Tom Cruise taking advantage of this poor, helpless person. Is there something in here that doesn't work for you? Do you have a, you have a least favorite moment or a least favorite part of Rain Man? God, I hate that that woman comes back to him. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought She's her up. She's so I wonderful. Mike, did you recognize her? I mean, there's no reason that yeah. you should. She's. I know her from a couple... I can never remember her name, but she's in Big Top Pee Wee. She's in Hot Shots. She's in a bunch of stuff. She's in something that's very close to our heart that also ties into this movie, too, in a way. She's in Leaving Las Vegas. Is she really? She shows up in that? So she is at the bar when Cage is very, very drunk and he's just like hitting on just like this poor, innocent woman just trying to have a drink after work or whatever. I think it might be after he and Sarah have a fight and he goes to try to pick somebody else up. I think it might. Is it before he gets to Vegas and he's at the bar in LA? Oh, it could be. Yeah, and he's got like the sunglasses. It's the middle of the day. Okay, I'm starting to. It's some woman at a bar where uh, things do not go well. But yeah, I just thought, you know, this movie winds up in Vegas as well. Raymond ends up talking to a prostitute that lo- that looks, has the Elizabeth Shue look from <laughs> from that movie. Like the short blonde hair, the black dress. Sparkly and like a holiday. <laughs> that too. Jordan, did you like the character? Did you like the girlfriend character, Susanna? Yeah, I think she's great. because She's kind of like the moral compass from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, she's with like her boyfriend. So she's like trying to do what he wants to do. He's obviously like has... I don't want to say, like, some power over her, but, like... 
I don't know, they're together for some reason. I think he's her boss, right? Is yeah, that... he is her boss. I don't get the feeling that he's, like, taking advantage of her in any way or that she actually, like, needs him in any way. Maybe because of how easily she does leave him eventually. But she, like, yeah, puts up with a lot. He's, like, pretty shitty to her. He's pretty shitty in general. Like, it's not just to her. Right. And she's kind of, like, the one who's like, no, this is the right thing that we should be doing. And she's usually right. So I like her a lot. And she, like, tries to care for Raymond, too. And she kisses him, too. That's that's very sweet. I agree with you that I don't like that she comes back to him, but I do appreciate, because I feel like she brings a burst of energy and a burst of life back to the movie when she shows up again. Like, there's there's something that she brings, whether it's the character or the actress. There are no other women in this movie. (laughs) That's very true, but there's also not a ton. Like, it's really kind of only three and a half characters. Like, there's... Cruz and Hoffman and her, and she sort of leaves or whatever, and then there's the guy who has a trust. But even, like, all the people at the hospital are men who we deal with, like Vern is a dude. Uh, The doctor's a dude. All the lawyers or whatever are dudes. The co-workers are all dudes, except for her. Yeah, there's, like, literally also just no other women in this. We have Bonnie Hunt in her first movie role. Where? She is Debbie Mills, a.k.a. Mills Debbie. Phone number, phone number, phone number. Oh, yeah, there's a waitress. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, But I feel like that's also just sort of a stereotypical, like, can't have a dude there. Got to have a woman. You know what I mean? But I... of course, the woman is the waitress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't think that's the only reason why she brings like this lightness. Like, I think that's the actress that she seems like she is, and the kind of character that it is. Apparently, they wanted to cast that she was originally written as a quote waspy blonde, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. They decided that if she was someone who didn't speak English well, like English wasn't her first language. Uh, Tom Cruise get a lot more exposition now because he would have to explain things to her. He does do that a couple times. It's kind of like an interesting, if huh. maybe lazy plot device, like <laughs> how do we get <laughs> yeah. him to explain things? Oh, she just doesn't understand what's going on. So like, let me explain what's happening to you. Not like, not even mansplain, just like, here's English words being spoken at you. <laughs> Mike, what about you? What was your least favorite part? Did you, did you have a least favorite part of Rain Man? Man, I mean, I know there's one in there. I'm having trouble really pulling it out though. Uh, you know what though? You know what? Uh, there's one thing that kind of I didn't think was entirely necessary is um, th- he makes a phone call because it doesn't really there's no consequence to this either it's like he makes a phone call to the doctor after he takes Ray for the first night or something like that and he basically is like I've kidnapped this person for ha- for like a million and a half dollars and you're not getting them back and and then he goes on to say like but you can't really do anything about it because he's my brother and so it's not really kidnapping like I thought that might have been like a little unnecessary to bring in like the kidnapping thing again I'm really kind of stretching uh, I think Jordan has a good point but uh, about that character but this kind of was like i don't know like i already think he's an asshole you know what i'm saying like i know he's doing the wrong thing so it just seemed weird to me that they were gonna start throwing in like kidnapping extortion like all that jail time possibly that kind of threw me a little bit they like tried to explain that away a little bit not that he like he did kidnap him and he was trying to get you know one and a half million dollars to bring him back they at least didn't turn him into a criminal because they were like, well, he was here voluntarily. If he left, he left. Yes. Like, it's not a legal thing. Right, right. There is there is a very good sort of work around that, yeah. But no, I don't, I don't disagree with you. That's why I hated him. Right, like, we already were against him enough. They just started throwing around terms. I was like, whoa, whoa. Okay, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need this guy to go to jail at the end of the movie or anything. Like, 
he could be ruined financially and you know that's fine <laughs> but I, there was like a brief moment at the beginning where i thought he might go to jail because like i i never saw this i had no idea where this movie was going it feels like a movie where the two of them would at least end up like in in the jail of a, like a local town in the middle of nowhere <laughs> if it was a comedy do either of you think this movie is this movie too long or do you think if it, is it because it's long? It's like two hours and fifteen minutes. Well, what would you cut out? I don't know. That's the thing. Like I feel like I didn't it's... really feel the length. You know what I think helps oh. is that it's like a road trip. There's lots of great yeah. scenery and and things. And the two of them are really good together too. I think they have good chemistry. Yeah. My least favorite moment. I think I'm sort of like you, Mike, in that I don't have a lot about this movie that I don't really like or really dislike. I mean, there was one thing I thought was really kind of a weird choice. In the closing credits, they show all the pictures that Dustin Hoffman's <laughs> character took. Is that what they were? I couldn't <laughs> even figure out what they were. I feel like that's just maybe, and maybe it's just the way that I was looking at it, but maybe insensitive? You're impersonating a character with autism, and he's got a camera with him everywhere he goes, and you're taking like just weird, because they're like blurry, and they're out of focus, and they're sort of of nothing, and it kind of chronicles their journey, but it feels like you're kind of making fun of the character in a way. And maybe it's just the way that I'm reading. I don't know. But it struck an odd chord with me. Like, why are we seeing this? Yeah, you know what it kind of reminded me of? You get this a lot, and it actually works, is when you get, like, the fake bios at the end of movies about, like, what happened to those characters and yep. stuff. It mm-hmm. sort of had a feel to that to it. But you're right. There's something came across as, like, disingenuous because it's like Dustin Hoffman took those pictures. You know? Like, there's not, there's nothing really Yeah, like, it's not like it's based like, on a real, a real person, right? Like, it's not like... yeah if Raymond's character was based on a specific person who, like, always had a a camera with him or whatever, maybe you show that real person's pictures or something. That's exactly what my friend said who I watched this with. I was like, what are those photos? And that was his explanation. And I was like, but no, I don't think that's what this is. Because that's what it feels like it should be, but it is not. It's just, I don't know if those are actually the pictures that, that Dustin Hoffman took or if there's some poor production intern who had to, like, take pictures that look like those pictures. I don't know what it was, but it feels like a level of work and whatever that, like, just show the credits. It's not a huge thing, but it's just like, a, why is this happening? And it also reminded me that they kind of don't follow up on a lot of Raymond's other like, abilities. Like, he is an incredible artist, right? Like, there's only one or two shots, but from memory, he's drawing the hospital that he was at, you know, mm-hmm. when he's, like, during that rainy day. And he's always got his markers, and he's always got his books and stuff. And so all it did was be like, why didn't they address this more throughout the movie? Like, even then, maybe it would have worked a little better, you know, if they, if even Tom Cruise never says what's with that camera once, you know, like, what are you taking pictures for? He never, any of it, so. Maybe that was just stuff that, like, got kind of cut out, though. Yeah, like Joey said, it is long already, so I could see this coming in at, like, two and a half, two hours, 45 minutes, and them going, like, okay, we, we gotta, like, pull this back a little bit, and then you lose those things. It still works without it, but it doesn't make the pictures really work at the end. You know, I, I like your idea, Jordan, that maybe that was something that just got cut out. But at the same time, if you cut that out of the movie, don't put them in the credits. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I was real confused by the credits. Because, <laughs> you know, as I'm watching the movies now, I'm trying to think of my favorite and least favorite moments and just trying to have something to talk about on the show. And then I'm like, I don't really have a thing. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Here we go. Thought the movie was over. Thought I had to scramble for something. <laughs> this is weird. I don't like this. And that's where I wound up. Let me see here. What else do I have in my notes about this movie? Mike, I have a question for you as sort of our resident Vegas expert. I mean, I might have been to Vegas now more times than you just because 
I go every year for work, but it's not really do. I'm not. I don't do Vegas. I just go out there, work right. sixteen hour days, get exhausted. Do people gather in crowds like this okay. when someone's on hot streak? No. Okay. So my new <laughs> least favorite part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> this totally. I'm watching it, and I was like, okay. So like, I've been to Vegas like an absurd amount of times between the year 2000 and the year 2012 like nine times in between them like it's absurd not once have i ever seen anyone on a hot streak with a huge crowd around them like that is definitely something that only happens in movies <laughs> and not even that many movies but like that is not a i don't think that's ever a real thing that's crazy if I saw a crowd like that, I would go up to it and be like, is someone famous here? Oh, it's just a guy winning? I'm out of here. Exactly. It's Vegas. People are winning all around, like on hot streaks and stuff, and no one's ever crowding around. People are all off on their own gambling. But it's in every movie. Where is yeah. William H. Macy as the cooler when you need him? <laughs> oh, Jordan, there's something specifically for you that I want to talk about. Tom Cruise is talking to, I think it's the guy who has the trust. Like, he's the one who's been trusted with the money or whatever. Mm-hmm. He says to Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise's character, Charlie, he's like, uh, Raymond understands, ma- he, he can do this, this, this. He doesn't understand the concept of money. And I was just like, the concept of, which is one of our uh, charade <laughs> shortcuts, where it's just like, you make oh the globe. Gosh, yeah, it was. You make the globe. Like, the whole thing, the concept of, that just made me, it just made me laugh. That makes no sense to anybody but maybe me and Jordan and like a couple other people who no, are I've not No, I've played listening. charades with you before. I remember that. I have tried to explain, sh- like, how we played charades and how incredible it was to so many people, and nobody cares. No one and cares. I'm so mad about it. I played charades one night with Joey and Larson at Scully's house, and it was mind blowing. Like all of the shortcut, <laughs> and I loved it. It was so much fun. <laughs> we had like a language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, boy, oh boy, we if had I our saw own that. Rules. Yeah, and uh, a lot of bullshit. Some of which I will take the blame for. Thank you. Uh, I feel like rightfully so. You know, a decade in, I can take the I can take the L on some things. I will not. Give up the fact that oil is two syllables as opposed oil to one. Is one syllable. <laughs> but that is something that we are learning on too fast, too forever. That more people side with me than disagree with me. So. Well, you're taking p- more polls about oil. Oh yeah, oh, it's yeah. one of the questions we ask every guest. <laughs> I don't know what I think anymore because all I think of is you doing two things while this fight was happening. One was that you put your hand on your chin yep. underneath your chin mm-hmm. and you counted how many times your hand moved yep. when you said the word oil, and it was two. And then the other thing is that you you started clapping like you were like oil. <laughs> it was the original clapback, like the clapback meme. It was that. <laughs> and so I like can't. I don't even know what I think anymore because that's what I always think of first. Well, you're welcome. The other thing I want to talk about is that apparently, so Cruz wears sunglasses in this movie as well. They're Ray Bans, and apparently sales went up by fifteen percent. I feel like. Both within the movie and especially compared to other sunglasses he's worn, they're relatively unspectacular. Like, I feel like for someone, and maybe he's not as successful as I think he is, but it feels like he's kind of not super well-dressed in this movie, and maybe it's just the style of the time. But I feel like compared Mm -hmm. to Risky Business, to Top Gun, these sunglasses aren't great, but again, Tom Cruise wearing them boosts sales a lot. So I want to know what you guys thought of these sunglasses, whether they were cool or whether they... Just sort of fell a little flat. I can't even think of them. Exactly. That, but if you yeah. said, like, closed, you said 
Yeah, you said risky business sunglasses, and I was like, yeah, got it. It's funny. They didn't stand out to me. I was like, oh, he's wearing sunglasses. But I didn't find them to be, like, a necessary part of his character like they are other times or anything like that. But And as far as his wardrobe, I liked his sort of slick, minimalist sort of style. Like, he never wears a tie. He's into sports coats, like, just like a black T-shirt or whatever. I don't think he even wears jeans, too. He likes... You know, he likes to wear pants, nice pants. No clothes, you got a Kmart because Kmart sucks. That's the other thing I was going to mention. There's a lot of, I don't know if it is necessarily product placement or not, but they do mention a lot of Kmart. There's one shot I have to mention when it's the rainy day and Cage, uh, Cage, well, where am I? And Cruz is just sitting in, it's a shot of him sitting in bed holding Pepto-Bismol and you just hear an, a Nike Air Force Alpha commercial in the background and it just goes like, the Air Force Alpha, like by Nike. And I'm like, what is this? Just a commercial? Uh, it reminded me of like going to get a Coke in the middle of volunteers or something like that. Yeah. But there's a lot of, name-dropping. Never before has Pepto-Bismol looked so good than in Tom Cruise's hand. Uh, this movie is one of Princess Diana's favorite movies, apparently. Oh. So, okay. that's something. So, okay, so here, in terms of casting, Dustin Hoffman originally wanted Bill Murray to play Charlie, and I don't know hmm. if that works. Was he still only funny then? I think only, like, the last, like, five or so years he was not funny. Yeah, right? Like, he was much older when he started doing serious roles. Or I guess maybe Lost in Translation is not funny, so... That was 2003, right? But even so, I mean, he was still much still older by then. 15 years yeah, he later, took yeah. a big break from comedy. I could see also, like, I mentioned Awakenings before, but I could see, like, Robin Williams maybe in either role. I could see Charlie Sheen because this part is very, like, Wall Street. That's the thing, Jordan, that we're, a lot of these things, like, the, we, we see basically every role that Cruz is up for that Charlie Sheen was either cast or was considered or auditioned. So, like, you are... Right on totally the money there. makes sense. Yeah, they even have a similar look, too. So. Yeah. Even, what about Emilio Estevez? I feel like he could fit all those mm. roles also. I feel like he's kind of like a gentler Charlie Sheen or gentler Tom Cruise. But he's so mean in the beginning of The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Charlie and Emilio have played brothers in a movie before, but it would have been interesting if they played brothers in this movie. So this was written for Randy and Dennis Quaid to do together. Whoa, no shit. That would have been crazy. And it didn't happen, obviously. Oh my god. Jack Nicholson, De Niro, and Mel Gibson all turned down the part of Raymond, the Dustin Hoffman character. Good. <laughs> I don't want Mel Gibson doing that. The last note that I have in the trivia is apparently, so uh, so Dustin Hoffman was like so convinced when he was making this movie that it wasn't good, that he wasn't, he like he was begging to be fired. Like he did not think he was nailing the part, whatever. So the other thing that I was reading was that both Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman would joke around on set thinking that this movie was going to flop and tank and not do well. And they dubbed it two schmucks in a car. <laughs> um, so I guess just between Dustin Hoffman doubting his own performance and then them just, I don't know, doubting not the script, but maybe just the way that it was all coming together. I don't know what was happening, but it felt like the morale on set doesn't seem super great. I don't know, but, you know, obviously everybody was wrong because this was a huge hit, won Best Picture. Just weird how, like, you can be in the middle of something and not know how good it could be, you know what I mean? Yeah, I can't imagine. That's so strange. Like, I just wonder what felt so bad about it. I don't know. Didn't they say it went through, like, a couple directors? That's true, yeah. People were backing out, and so, like, maybe they weren't quite sure if they should have kept going at some point, and it's like, well, let's finish it and see what happens. True. But that is always a crazy thing. It's like, you just never can tell, like, when you're on set. It's like, you don't know if it's going to be a total bomb or if it's going to be a great success. Who knows? Who can who can say in the, the weird world of Hollywood? All right, Jordan, I got a very important question for mm-hmm. you. If Tom Hanks were cast in Rain Man, 
what would this movie be like? If he was in the Tom Cruise role, what would this be like? Or, if you cannot imagine this movie with Tom Hanks in that part, is there another part that he could play? If he was in the Tom Cruise part, I think that the character would feel a lot softer, even if he was trying to play it like in a similar way. But I would put him in the Dustin Hoffman role, I think, before I would put him in the Tom Cruise role. Or in the doctor role. Really, he'd be better in any of the other roles. What about the Susanna role as as Tom Cruise's uh, boyfriend? Oh, he'd be perfect in that. I was thinking that too. Like, I don't know that he necessarily fits in the Cruise role. I think he could, to some extent, do the Dustin Hoffman role. I don't know if he could do it as well. It was the best performance of the year, according to the Academy. But I, I don't know that he necessarily works in the Cruise role. What about you, Mike? What do you think? Do you think he could work in the Charlie role, or do you think he fits better somewhere else? I don't know. I, yeah, I think he fits better somewhere else. I think you need... There's a certain level of assholery that I think Cruz can get to, I can still come back from, that maybe Hanks can't. Like, I don't... You know, I think it might be a little harsher, actually, like, to see Hanks be yelling and being such a dick all the time and all that kind of thing. Can I elaborate on that? Mm-hmm. Because I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I want to hate Tom Cruise just based on his face. Like, he's very easy to hate, just immediately. And maybe that's just, like, me as a woman, or, like, I don't know. And so I'm ready for him to betray me whenever he wants to. If Tom Hanks betrayed me and I believed him, it would be much more devastating. So there you go. Maybe it could be more powerful because you just, you don't see it coming from Hanks. Brutal. It has that much more, yeah, it wounds you harder or something. But I also do think that he would have been a good Raymond. Like now that I, maybe he was a little too young. I like the dynamic. I like the idea that Ray is the older mm-hmm. one and that Charlie's the younger one. So I think it's good that they have like a sort of more distinguished actor at the time playing the. Well, I think Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman's like 15 years older than Cruz, if I remember reading that right. And I think Hanks is probably about five years older, maybe 10. So it's it's close-ish, but it's not exactly to that same yeah. gap. I think they're a lot farther in age than that. And Hoffman Dustin already Hoffman? had like such a history. Yeah. Of, you know, the graduate, and you know, he had done lots of stuff too, so like he was established. So, oh, it's 25 years, 25 years difference. Tom Hanks is six years older than Cruz, so it's, it's a wild, it's a, it's a much bigger disparity for sure. Another hard hitting question, Jordan, because you know, there's nothing here, nothing that we don't but want to take very questions. seriously. <laughs> Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? Yes. At least once when Raymond is in the middle of the crosswalk and he's kind Mm -hmm. of like Tom Cruise has kind of lost him in the street. Raymond is crossing the street and the thing changes from walk to don't walk. So he just stops in the middle of the street. Tom Cruise runs to get him. And then he runs again later when the fire alarm is going off. I'm also picturing that he probably runs a little bit when he loses sight of Raymond, when he he goes to make that first phone call and he just comes back and can't find him. I feel like he probably runs a little bit Mm -hmm. there too. Um, So I'm going to say yes briefly. It's not like a... Mission Impossible run, but he definitely does he run a little bit. He's a good runner. Oh, he's a great runner. I mean, that's his, I don't know if you know this, but his social media bio is running in films since 1981. I did not know that. Which his is very first scene kind of runs amazing. into frame. Yep, as Billy the Arsonist. Now, here's another question for you, Jordan. There's someone on Twitter, at Harperfect, or Harperfect, don't know how to pronounce it. I said it very similar there, both ways. <laughs> he believes that in every movie that Tom Cruise has ever acted, and you could change his character name with Lightning McQueen and nothing would change about the movie. Do you think that's true here? Yes or no? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. That's not a real name. That's a cartoon name. But Top Gun, absolutely. Yep, sure. <laughs> Risky Business, probably. <laughs> a lot A lot of the movies, I feel like this might be, Mike, this might be our first definitive no. Yeah, flat out. 
<laughs> Did you all like Risky Business? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's stuff. There's definitely stuff in there that's a little weird, maybe today. Oh, it's but a, a lot. It's so weird. It's super weird. A lot of a lot of 80s movies are still super weird, but at the same time, yeah, it's great. Holds up better than most. Uh, speaking of Lightning McQueen, though, Joey, one of the first things we see in the movie is a red sports car. Oh so. yeah, I thought about that. I wrote, I made a note of that. Absolutely. Yeah, those Ferraris. Very pivotal to the Cage Club lore. Now, Jordan, the last question before we go to our awards, mm-hmm. we decorate this with best and worst honors. If you want a walk-on role into Rainman, you are the second woman on screen, or maybe third. You know, you, Bonnie Hunt, and whoever the actress is, Valerie somebody, playing Susanna. Where do you put yourself in this movie? What are you doing? Either a part that exists already, or a new part. Where are you in Rain Man? I think I'm just, like, at the diner eating pancakes. Okay. <laughs> just at one of the diners. I can see you very politely passing the maple syrup mm-hmm. to Raymond. I could see you doing like a pancake eating contest, being like they're all are aching, <laughs> kind of like an Andrew Daly situation in the corner. Oh, the real Lisa Ching. Okay, Mike. What about you? Where would you find? Where would you put yourself in uh, in Rain Man? Mm. One thing I liked about this movie a lot is that there's a lot of times where there just aren't many people on screen. Like they're driving through, they're driving cross country and. They can't go on the interstate and take highways, so they take lots of back roads and stuff. And I want to, I want them to have to sort of pull over. I want to be someone that uh, they ask for directions. So uh, cool. Okay. They're, they're at like one of those little gas stops that they're at, and uh, Tom Cruise just comes up to me and goes, you know, like fella, like where the hell in America are we right now, and how do I get to L.A.? And I'd be like, well here's a map and I'd show him on the map because I was actually thinking like this movie kind of is missing that scene I, I definitely expected him to be like I'm used to driving fast on the interstate we're supposed to be flying where the hell are we right now and stuff and it also reminded me of the time I drove to Canada and me and my friend sort of didn't take the direct route and had to like map out like a back road to the border <laughs> through like a neighborhood so like I, I, I'm gonna go with um pedestrian on the side of the road who gives them directions. I'm going to go real deep in this movie. I'm going to be a contestant on the episode of Jeopardy that they watch for a minute. Yeah. That's Mm. great. Good one. Thank you, thank you. You could also be a defendant on Wapner. That would have been... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I would be happy with either one of those. Just, it's an honor to be nominated. All right, time to go to the Tom Cruise Awards, maybe the Golden Oak Leaves, maybe the Golden Sunglasses. We still don't have a great name for the award category yet. However... Just call them the Golden Angles. He's a runner. (laughs) That is... I like it, but that is... I... I'm going to give it a firm maybe, Jordan. Okay, cool. I'll take it. It's not I'm going to nominate this for Best Film for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we want to nominate it for Best Director or Filmmaker? I mean, he won Best Director. This is the category that still, I think we're still sort of feeling this out because we, we brought this up you know, two so... episodes ago with, with Greg. We have Scorsese mm-hmm. for The Color of Money and Tony Scott for Top Gun. Does this fit in that kind same kind of conversation? Is what Barry Levinson does here on par with what Scorsese and Tony Scott do in those movies? So I would say so. I would say yes. I think it's more than just like you know, who Barry Levinson is and his sort of, uh, you know, filmography and stuff like Scorsese, I think that came into account a little bit. But like, I think Barry Levinson did a good job of like treating this material seriously, you know, and with respect. And Mm -hmm. I think that really comes across like this could have gone way south 
really early, then you just have to kind of sit with it for another two hours. But like he really managed to craft like a genuine emotional story between brothers here. I think that first off is like really what's going on in this movie. All right. So I, I would I would say yes. Uh, I'm gonna say best cruise role to be sure. Charlie Babbitt and Rain Man. Or does this fit more into the best supporting... I don't know, because he wasn't nominated, but if he was nominated, is this more of a, a lead role or is this a supporting role? No, this is a lead role. Yeah, this is the lead. It's, it's got to be two, two male leads in this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. do, do you think that's why, I mean, aside from whether or not he should have been nominated, but do you think that's why maybe he wasn't nominated? Is because they two leads, so they already were like, well, Dustin Hoffman, he's a lead actor. Let's give it to him. We can't give it to Cruz. I mean, nowadays, like, with the favorite, they nominate everybody, right? Like, it doesn't really matter. They're over that kind of thing. But uh, I wonder. I wonder if, like, he could have been nominated. List of movies. This is on Wikipedia. List of movies with more than one Academy Award nomination in the same category. Three, six, nine, twelve times in movie history has Best Actor in a Leading Role, most recently in Amadeus. Um, okay. The so Dresser, Network, down. Sleuth, Midnight Cowboy, also Dustin Hoffman. Beckett, Judgment Nuremberg, The Defiant Ones, Giant, From Here to Eternity, Going My Way, and Mutiny and the Bounty all had two oh. men nominated there. Okay, so not an issue. And then only five times for Best Actress in a Leading Role, All About Eve, Suddenly Last Summer, The Turning Point, Terms of Endearment, and Thelma and Louise. But then for Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress, there have been a bunch. Most recently, The Favorite with Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz. And three billboards with Woody Harrelson and, and Sam Rockwell. But that makes more sense for supporting because yeah. like, lots of characters can support. But if you're saying somebody is the lead, mm-hmm. that generally implies only one person. True. Yes, I would agree with that. That there can be like usually like a leading man and a leading woman. Although in this movie, you would have to. I mean, there's no leading woman. It's just the two the two dudes. And then the only other category, just for for trivia's sake, if you ever want to know, the only other one aside from the acting categories, best original song, twelve or thirteen times. Most recently, La La Land for both Audition and City of Stars. Most badass role, no. Most waste of performance, no. Best fight? There's not really a fist fight here, I don't think. No. Difficult question, because I'm going to say maybe, but I also think based on your both of what both of you said, I'm going to say no, probably. Best soundtrack or score? <laughs> I don't know what I'm comparing it to, though. Like It was um, different enough that we bothered to talk about it without like being prompted by this. It wasn't necessarily a, in a good way, though, because you were like, it didn't work for me. Well, I had like a legend problem with it, Joey, where it's like, I like the score. It just feels, to me, more out of place than working for the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like like I said before, like I feel like it would work better in another movie. It didn't like take me out or anything. Sure. I just felt like at places it maybe could have used something else. And keeping in mind that this is now we've we've done ten episodes and six things have already been nominated and one of them is not legend. So you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that like are already in the running. So I think I'm 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 okay leaving this one off. But Jordan, just for, for reference sake, all the right moves, cocktail, endless love, losing it, risky business, and top gun all nominated for Best Theme Song slash Soundtrack slash Score. Because those also had, like, songs with the movie lyrics, or, like, lyrics about the movie or with the title, titular line, are in those Losing songs. Losing it or Endless stuff. Love, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe, if maybe we might have to split that into two categories. I don't know. Best Car Chase, no. Best Dance Scene, I'm going to say yeah. Oh, I'm going to yeah. say... But which Charlie. one, the elevator or Charlie and Raymond? Well, I think I think it's got to be a Cruise Dance Scene, and Cruise oh, is right, in right. the elevator one. Good call, good call. Charlie teaching Raymond to dance. 
Best outfit wardrobe? I'm going to say no. I mean, I know that it's sort of the understated thing, but there's not really like a... There's that one moment in Vegas where they dress similar. Uh, yeah, I remember, and I, I feel like that's that. like the famous shot from this mm-hmm. movie is when they're coming down the escalator. That and the one when they're walking down the long driveway from the mm-hmm. hospital, I feel like they sort of mirror each other. Is that worth nominating for best outfit or wardrobe oh, I guess in, not. in the no, history of the not. It's nothing like Boy in Blue, right, Joey? Where it's just like all period perfect pieces of, of like course, and just shirtless crazy from start to finish. Top hats and mustaches. I'm going to say, I guess, best sunglasses just because it, it boosted the sale of Ray-Bans and plus... <laughs> There's only been two other things we've nominated here, but other than that, I don't know. Best Death Does Not Die, Best Line? There's a line that I really like. The, the, the pull quote for this episode is going to be, Rain Man, let's play some cards. I don't think that's great, but there is a freakout I want to call attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you guys, do you remember the, the freakout in this in this movie? I mean, I feel like he's freaking oh, out Oh, when he lot. got out of the car and yelled? What difference does it make where you buy underwear? What difference does it make? Underwear is underwear. <laughs> it is underwear wherever you buy it, in Cincinnati or wherever. <laughs> I thought that was just briefs. great. <laughs> best sex scene. There's a very tame sex scene. It's not quite... It's more noise than anything else. It's played for a joke, too. Like, there's it, Raymond is making the noises. He hears the noises. He doesn't know what's going on. He, he walks in and ends up sitting down on the end of the bed and watching TV while they finish. <laughs> when you're either in an adjoining hotel room or in, like, a suite just down the hall, why not close your door if you're going to bang? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Like, they're not being loud, but they're loud enough that Raymond hears them. Doesn't understand really necessarily what's going on, but still, like, yeah. close your door, guys. I feel like one of them might have been like, you know, maybe we should leave it open a little maybe bit just in him. case or yeah. something. And then Tom Cruise is probably like, whatever. Like, yeah, but bang. it can stay. It can be closed for ten or fifteen or twenty minutes or however long it's going to take. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it was also like new. That was like the first night. Like they didn't know him. Like I wouldn't close the door. I would also then, be like maybe. Then we also have maybe sex don't tonight. have sex. Yeah, I'd be like maybe this isn't the time. That's why it felt like a punchline like it felt more of like that sequence but then it becomes the reason she leaves because you know Cruz goes in and she's like go sort of like take care of him and stuff and he goes in and he yells at him to like shut up and go to bed and like don't come into other people's rooms and she's like you insensitive asshole like I'm leaving you like you That's never tell leaves. me yeah, anything right? you don't listen and I'm like yeah you go get out of here like don't be around this guy. Is there an athletic feat in this movie that we want to credit Tom Cruise? I don't think he has really anything, because he's not really an athletic type here. Like, he's not doing doing backflips in The Outsiders or doing anything crazy like he will in the Mission Impossible movies, but anything in here, I don't think so. Not that I can think of. No. Do we want to nominate our first same-sex love story, Charlie and Raymond? Is it a love story or is it not a love story? How do we well, want to like classify brotherly this? brotherly love. It's not it's like, it's not like point break, but... Is that a yes or a no? Because I can't, I can't I really know. tell. I'm not sure. Do we want to nominate Charlie and his girlfriend, Susanna, as worst love story? Mm. Or is it not that bad? I feel like you'll have worse. We only have one so know. far. It, Brian and Jordan. Oh, hello, Jordan. In Cocktail. Yeah, it's that's way worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's something just like tragic about the idea that those two are going to stay together. <laughs> Whereas, like, this one, I feel like they're actually going to work out their issues. Like, Tom Cruise's character is actually going to start listening more and talking more. Best ensemble cast, no. And then best or worst non-Cruise actor, male or female, of course, Dustin Hoffman as Raymond. Uh, Do we want to nominate anyone else? I feel like there's nobody else who's a big enough role to sort of merit good or bad, but... I think, yeah. do, you, do you think that Susanna's characters or the Susanna characters stood out or anybody else worthy of a nomination? No. Is there anything else about this movie, good or bad, that we want to immortalize uh, for an award, whatever they're going to be called? Not that I had written down. Nope. All right. So we've got seven nominees, seven nominations. Best film, best director slash filmmaker, best cruise role, best dance scene, best sunglasses, best freak out, 
and Best Non-Cruise Actor Male. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us for Rain Man. I was glad that you could finally see this movie and enjoy I'm this movie. just like so happy. I mean, I'm always happy to come talk to you guys, but I'm always so happy when it's also a movie that I enjoyed watching. Because that hasn't always been true. And that is kind of the goal with what we're doing for Tom Tom. I mean, Tom Hanks so far through 10 has been kind of a rough go for most of it. Who who would have known? But we did these two actors because we felt more often than not they're going to be movies that we actually want to watch and want to talk about. So hopefully when you come back next, which will be next time for Punchline. Ooh, getting dark over on Hanks. I don't even know what that is. He's a stand-up comedian. I don't know what it is either. Uh, Mike said one brief thing about it last episode. It gets it ends dark or something. Okay. But you'll be back over there, and then that's it. You're only on two episodes. I think I was having a time commitment problem when you asked me. Maybe, but also you have to keep in mind this is a three-year project or something. So maybe that was part of it also. But it's okay. You'll you'll be back maybe at some point. But I'm so glad that you. If not, you're retiring. You know, at the top of the game, one what? for one. Good movie, no. enjoyable movie, good little conversation. I don't, I don't retire <laughs> well i'm I mean, done coach put me in i mean you're not retiring because you have your own podcast you want to tell the listeners about oh, what your yeah. podcast is about it's me and kara host wistful thinking which is a podcast where we watch movies largely from our childhood although sometimes we stray from that and just watch stuff that we want to watch and talk about but we try to focus on nostalgia based movies mostly from the 90s are you going to give the fans what they want and do another summer boatcast? Ooh, good question Kara would love that uh i'd want to watch Waterworld again <laughs> there's a new cut that got released a All longer right, cut in. it's like 45 minutes longer i laughed harder in that movie i almost hot dog laughed <laughs> wow but jordan thank you for joining us next episode mike you and i are going to do born on the 4th of july in two weeks oh. uh, kicking off the summer officially right after memorial day with born on the 4th of july so i feel like that's Maybe thematically appropriate. I don't know what it's about. Is that You Can't Handle the Truth? Uh, no, it's Oliver Stone. It's Love It or Leave It is the big line I remember from that. Don't I, know that I, one. Uh, I don't remember liking it, so I'm very interested to revisit this. What movie is You Can't Handle the Truth? That is A Few Good Men. Oh, okay. You want is the that... truth? You oh, that's also Tom Cruise. Handle the Truth. Yeah, that's and it's a good Jack movie. Nicholson's line. It is. Yeah, it's very good. Demi Moore. He's going to do that in four years from now, in 1992. We will do that in two months in July, but Ooh. before then we have to do Born on the Fourth of July, Oliver Stone. Anyway, Jordan, thank you for joining us for all things Cruise Club and Hanks for the Memories and Wistful Thinking and all 25 shows in the network. You can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page and our Threadless shop, which you can find at cageclub.me and come back next week on Hanks for the Memories for Nothing in Common. And then come back in two weeks for Born on the 4th of July right here on Cruise Club. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Jordan Pullen-Clark of the Wistful Thinking Podcast. And we'll see you in two weeks for Born on the 4th of July right here on Cruise Club. 